0: ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Book Club. I'm Julie Calio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at vab.bc.pc@gmail.com. at gmail.com. In today's lesson, we are covering chapters 3 through 31 of Job, but don't worry, I won't cover all of these chapters like I have in the past. I'm going to give a basic overview and then put just a few verses out for us to look at. Yesterday's lesson sets the stage for the dialogue that is happening today with Job and his three friends. If you remember, Satan said to God that if God would allow Satan to take everything away from Job, then Job would curse God. But Job didn't. Then test number two, Satan asked if he could cause Job's body to be afflicted. And if so, then Job would certainly curse God. But God said he could not kill him. And then we find that Job did not curse God then either. Job's three friends came to comfort him and they sat in silence with him for a week. And now Job speaks. We will see three groups of discussions. The first group of Job talking with each of his three friends is located in chapters 4 through 14. The second triad of discussion with Job and each of his three friends are then in chapters 15 through 21 and the third triad differs just a bit. Job talks with two of his friends, Eliphaz and Bildad, and then verse 40 of chapter 31 ends with the words of Job are ended. And then we will meet a young man named Elihu who speaks in place of Zophar, Job's third friend. We will look at Elihu's comments tomorrow. Now keep in mind that once chapter 3 begins, we are no longer reading the plot. We are now reading these men's thoughts, and it is written in poetic form. Some of what these men say are true, and others are not. And that's why when we interpret or try to understand Hebrew poetry, that we keep in mind it is from the human's perspective or the human standpoint. The main theme throughout these chapters is, why does Job suffer? We discussed yesterday the idea of the retribution principle, which is displayed in much of the Old Testament, which means a person is blessed by God when they obey and cursed by God if they disobey. Job's friends strongly believe that. And so when they see all of this tragedy, they assume that Job had sinned greatly and they want him to get right with God and confess. But Job keeps insisting that he has not sinned. He has no secret sins. There's no reason for all of this tragedy. And since we know the beginning of the story, which they don't know, God even said to Satan in chapter 2 at the end of verse 3, And he, Job, still maintains his integrity, though you, Satan, incited me, God, against him to ruin him without any reason. So Job is correct. Verse 1 of chapter 3 shows us that Job breaks the week-long silence and curses the day he was born, and he shares his agony. Then Eliphaz rebukes Job, and in verse 8 of chapter 4 he says, Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. He's saying that in all his experiences, it is the wicked that suffer. In all of his arguments, he is emphatic that Job is in the mess that he is in because of his sin. In verse 27 of chapter 5, he says, we have examined this and it is true. So Job, hear it and apply it to yourself. In chapter 6 and 7, Job responds back. And in verse 21 of chapter 6, he tells his friend, Now you too have proved to be no help to me. Job continues to say that he despises his life and tells his friends to leave him alone, for his days have no meaning. That's in chapter 7, verse 15. So friend number two sets in, Bildad. He's even worse. He seems to speak for God and he tells Job that because his children sinned against God, that God gave them over to the penalty of their sins. In other words, that's why they died. He based his view on tradition and the former generations. He tells Job that if he would just repent, God would restore him. Chapter 8 verse 6. In Job's response, he still acknowledges God and actually declares his strength, his wisdom, his power. And then he says, I wish to dispute him and plead my cause, but how can I? He wouldn't hear me. If only I had an arbitrator. He says, because I loathe my very life, I will speak out freely with my complaints. Chapter 10, verse 1. And basically his question is, God, why? Why? Then friend number three takes a stab at it. He assumed that Job did sin and he wishes that God would speak to Job and show him his sin. That's chapter 11, verse five. Job replies again. A couple of times he tells his friends that he is not inferior to them. Chapter 12, verse three. Chapter 13, verse two. He insists that he is righteous And yet, he is suffering. He then tells his friends, If only you would be altogether silent. For you, that would be wisdom. Chapter 13, verse 5. So now, round 2 starts in chapter 15 with Eliphaz again. He firmly believes Job has sinned. In verse 17 of chapter 15, he says, Listen to me, and I will explain to you. Let me tell you what I have seen. Again, he's relying on his experiences. Job replies and said, I've heard many things like what you say. Then he declares, miserable comforters, are you all? Chapter 16, verse 2. Then Job rebuffs them and says, but come on, all of you, try it again. I will not find a wise man among you. Chapter 17, verse 10. Bildad at the end of his speech to Job and his predicament says surely this is the dwelling of an evil man such is the place of one who knows not God chapter 18 verse 21 wow what a friend huh Job responds and says, how long will you torment me and crush me with words? Chapter 19, verse 2. If what you say is true, then my error remains my concern alone. In other words, it's none of your business. Chapter 19, verse 4. Job says, if only my words were written down on a scroll. And then he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. That's chapter 19 verses 25 through 27. Then Zophar tries his second attempt. He says, since your rebuke dishonors me, I must respond. So he responds by saying that the heavens will expose Job's guilt. Chapter 20, verse 27. Job then gives examples of how righteous people do suffer and how wicked people do prosper. He ends by saying Nothing is left of your answers but falsehood. Round three begins again with Eliphaz. And he accuses Job of committing sins like taking money from a brother for no reason or stripping men of clothing and leaving them naked and withholding water and food to the hungry and sending widows away empty-handed. He then pleads for Job to submit to God and return to him. Job responds by claiming he's innocent. Bildad tries one more time by saying, how can a man be righteous before God? And how can one born of a woman be pure? Job then ends this conversation and says, I will never admit you are in the right until I die. I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my righteousness and never let it go. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. Chapter 27 verses 5 and 6. I long for the days when I was able to help others. When I was like one who comforted mourners. Chapter 29 verse 25. But now I am mocked. I cry out to God. But he does not answer. I made a covenant to be faithful to God and not commit adultery and to not lie and give to the needy because of my fear of God. And I didn't put my trust in gold or in my great wealth or in the heavens above or gloat over my enemy's misfortune or invoke a curse on my enemies. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. Chapter 31 verse 35. And the words of Job are ended. So ladies, what are some takeaways from this part of the story? Number one, humans are unable to see life from God's vast perspective. As Dr. Betts said, Job's friends are clueless. Therefore, we need to be very careful of a know-it-all kind of attitude either in ourselves or in our spiritual leaders. In the prophet of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts. Number two, we need to be careful of simplistic approaches to faith, such as Poor people can't be godly or rich people can't be godly. Both of these are wrong. Number three, for me, the thing that really stands out is that I am not your judge. These men came to comfort Job. Instead, they condemned him. So many Christians are good at doing this. I was great at it until pain and suffering postpartum depression after my twins were born, a son with epilepsy, and so many others. In the New Testament, there was a man born blind. The disciples asked Jesus, was it this man's sin or his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind? This is the same attitude of Job's friends. Something bad happened to him, therefore they have sinned. But Jesus answered his disciples, and this is found in John chapter 9 verse 3. And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in his life. The lessons we learn in the dark, we can never learn in the light. One of my childhood memory verses was Romans chapter 8 verse 28. And it says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. There is a purpose in the pain. And many times it brings us closer to Christ and makes us more like him. In my teenage years, there was a popular Christian song called Trust His Heart by Babbie Mason and Eddie Carswell. And the chorus goes like this. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Ladies, when life gets difficult, We may not understand what God's doing, why He's doing it, but we can know that He loves us and we can trust His heart. Job's friends came for comfort and instead they brought more heartache. But in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. And that is through Jesus Christ, our mediator. There is a purpose for the pain, And ladies, I can, I can tell you, I am much more merciful, much more gracious, much more loving because of the pain and the heartache of my life and seeing the tender hand of Jesus in the midst of it. We may never know why, but it is okay to ask. And if I'm thinking quick enough, the question that I try to ask is, okay, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? I try to ask that because maybe if I can learn the lesson quickly, then maybe the pain will stop too. Maybe. All right, ladies, if you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts. Instead, let's be women who pray and obey. And let's be women who, if we have been comforted, let us comfort others. And if we are in the midst of heartache, Let us trust him, the Comforter. Until next time, and thanks so much for listening.